Well, hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another edition of Daily, uh, White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How are you doing, Danny? Uh, doing well. You know, uh, just uh, trying to get through another uh, week of just a sad state of White Sox news and happenings. And, uh, you know... We uh we continue to grind this thing out week after week, and uh, I just I was saying before the show, I I need to go back and look at some of these uh some of these old streams like back in April, early on in the season, because uh, I feel like with a fairly high certain, fairly high degree of certainty that uh, there is a lot more gray in this beard after uh, this twenty twenty three season, but you know, uh. I will say this. I am watching less and less White Sox baseball, as we've discussed in the past, uh, and it is doing wonders for my mental state. But uh, yesterday I spent some time with the, with the boys in the garage, man. We did a uh, live auction fantasy football draft, and uh, that helped me keep my mind off of things. So, you know, just uh, plugging along to get through this season, and hopefully the offseason has some uh, better answers for us White Sox fans. But anywho, how you doing tonight, man? I'm good, you know. As I say, um, if I didn't have the minor leagues to follow, I'd want to beat my head against the wall. It's this the whole, you know this this season's just been uh, oh, one brutal. kick in the nuts after another, and uh, you know, um, it's coming to a close. I mean, it's I mean, you look at the standings. I mean, we're twenty one and a half. Probably you're probably going to be. Uh, 22 and a half back after tonight. Um, I mean, obviously the season's over. So um, I'm going to bring on our guest for the evening. Um, you guys know Mr. Beef Loaf, uh, Mr. Delicious 13 from Twitter. Um, let's go ahead and bring him up here. How you doing, Beef? Good to see you. Hey. <laughs> I'm great, guys. Good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, Absolutely been looking forward to it for uh you know since i since i asked you about it uh you know it's kind of one of those things we've always thought about having you on but for you know for whatever reason you know like i just spaced it and never asked and you're gracious enough to uh accept the invitation thanks for coming on yeah i'm I'm thrilled to be here guys like uh ian we had a conversation on on my side podcast the Aju, and we had a great time uh discussing a lot of prospect talk there uh, so I, I can't wait to uh, cut it up with you guys and, and see what you guys want to discuss about the, the current White There's a lot going on with the White Sox. <laughs> not a lot of it positive, but, you know, uh, there's stuff happening. So much of it is negative. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, you know, like, you know, from the 108, you guys uh, do so much, uh, you know, you guys are pretty much everywhere. And um, you could have just stopped with so much because, you know, the one thing I got to say is uh, – I admire your tenacity. You know, the, all, you. the whole of your group is is constantly plugging away, grinding it out week after week with all the different shows and, and guests and things you have on. And, uh, of course, you know, attending these uh, atrocious ball games. So, mm. you know, my hat's off to you and, and the rest of the guys over there at the from 108, sir, really. You know, Danny, uh, uh, attending the games is just become a sickness like you said you're not haven't been watching very much and, and your uh, mental attitude is much better and everything 
Um, we're just like, we're like heroin addicts. That's why we go uh, all the time. And we're, and we're I'm, I was still watching. I, I finished my po- earlier podcast, watched the game, and then right before I came down here with you guys, I kind of like I think I missed the last out, maybe, but whatever. So like, but I appreciate that. Yeah, we we do grind hard, and we've been grinding hard for uh, you know our our blog is seven years old. Uh, podcast and Sunday Soak are, are five plus years old. So yeah, we we just enjoy doing it. You know, we we like we like having fun, and we like the White Sox most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they make it Both so difficult, time. you know, to to like them, and uh, you know, we'll get into it in a little while. But at least it seems like you know some of the unlikable stuff has gone away in the last in the last week. Um, but I mean, when that source of frustration goes away, three more pop up. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, I just want to you know bring up the A's series. Um, you know, since we last streamed, uh, the the White Sox played a four game set against the A's, and I mean, just absolutely embarrassed in the first two games. And you know, we'll get we'll get into f- Friday night in a little while. Um, but uh, you know, it's just. <clears throat> one thing after another, you know, if it's not one side of the equation, it's the other side of the equation. Um, I assume that you were at both of those uh, those first A's games. I was, yeah. I, I was at Thursday night, and it, Thursday night was a night that was so hot out there. You get heat stroke in the evening, which is kind of a rare thing. <laughs> I took the class picture, and it's like the sweatiest picture you've ever seen of fans. And <laughs> there weren't a lot of people there. It was it was kind of funny. There was supposed to be a, a, like a reverse boycott, like the oh, yeah. A's fans were trying to get the side. And it's almost yeah. like they did the reverse reverse boycott, guys, because no one showed up. There was nobody there. There was like seven people in the crowd total. Um, but, yeah, I mean, embarrassing and uncomfortable game to, to, to just like sit through like uh you know and, and, and you get nothing going on they get home runs launched the ball is flying well uh mostly for the a's not for us but uh yeah I, I was there thursday night and then friday night obviously um i didn't get shot so that's good but I, dylan cease uh i'm just uh, you know i'm just uh, I've, I've been frustrated in the past with dylan cease he made me eat crow last year when he had a Cy young runner up year but I've never been a huge fan of Dylan Cease, and this year he's really cratering. Like I, I looked this morning, uh, and obviously Michael Kopech had another bad start. But Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease ERA pluses are are ninety for Kopech and ninety three for Cease. So Cease is having as bad a year as Kopech. He's just not getting all the you know attention of how bad his year has been. Yeah. Um, luckily, you know, uh, I mean, not luckily, I guess. Um, <laughs> Because it's kind of sad, but um, you know, Tukey and and Clevenger managed to salvage, you know, the the last two games of that series, and um, that's kind of one kind of a good lead in into what I wanted to talk about. Uh, first off, here um, the rotation for for twenty twenty four. Now, obviously, uh, you know, with all of the uh the you know the the big foundation pieces uh being traded away and um next year you know you're slated the, the only guys who are definitely on the roster for next year is Cease Kopech and Tuki Toussaint and uh you know obviously we just picked him up off of waivers and uh you know he's his arb one next year uh so i mean you have him for a couple more years 
Um, but the the other guys that are there, you've got uh, Clevenger, who's got this that that weird opt out, you know, clause. It's a it's a mutual option, so either one can say no, I don't want to do that, and everybody just goes their separate ways. And then you have Schultons, who was only signed to a one year deal, even though he's you know, not, uh, you know, I mean, if they would have signed him to a, a multi-year deal, I guess they, they could have grabbed him, but, you know, uh, he's possibly gone as well. So uh, what what are you thinking for, for next year for the, the starting rotation? Well, it's funny, like, this is like the perfect free agent market, too, to take a bunch of stabs at random guys who either have fallen down, haven't been good, or maybe you see a little potential there. The guy I really wanted last year, was Michael Lorenzen because I thought he fit perfectly. Like, and and Clev has been good. Okay, I'm not I, I'm not really complaining about his performance, nope. but I kind of liked uh, Michael Lorenzen because I'm like, cats like these athletic guys. Like he, they tried it with Vince Velasquez, and because they didn't get a great start there, like they ended up letting him go. And then he was pretty good in in Pittsburgh to start the year, but then uh, injuries had come to him. But like, this is a market where you can just go take some gambles on some guys, and I think that's kind of what the White Sox are going to do. Like. To shoot, uh, you know, kind of uh, for the bottom of the barrel. There's a lot of free agent pitchers out there because you just don't you don't have the internal depth right now. You know, you're you're. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when Davis Martin's slated to be back. I, I assume it's like midseason. Even then, you, I don't know that you could count on him rehab. after an injury. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. You got to give him some time uh, a little bit. So, I mean, I, I think right now they're 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 in a weird spot where they have. Uh, it's almost like it's 2017 again. They have opportunities to give people some shots. And they didn't do enough of that back then. I hope that they take full advantage of this right now and go out there and look for the guys that have been injury cases. You know, I know he sat out the whole year. Look at the Chris Archer types, right? The guys that probably don't have anything left, but let's let's gamble and see if we can resurrect some careers here. Uh, you know, and and it would be helpful, like. I like the Tukey pickup, Ian, because he's got uh, control. Like, if you have, there's more of those guys laying around, go grab those guys up and see what you got. Yeah, and like the thing, you know, I, I've I've talked to to Danny about this before. You know, I I always liked the upside of Tukey. Um, you know, obviously when he was drafted uh, by the Diamondbacks, but you know when he was with the Braves, I also liked the upside a lot, and he just never seemed to be able to put it all together. And he would have, uh, you know, he'd have a couple good innings to start, but, you know, then there'd be a blow-up inning. And, you know, we've seen that a couple of times here, and uh, I've heard on, you know, an interview with him that he's like, you know, we're just looking to put it all together and being able to maintain some consistency in my starts. And, you know, with the with the Sox, he's, he's done that pretty well. Um you got anything on this, Danny? You got anybody that you're that you're hoping on or thinking about? No, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I'm kind of on the same bus as uh, Beef was talking about. Where you know we're in that situation now. Where obviously this rebuild was a complete and utter disaster of a failure, and we've got time to make things happen. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about a change in, in clubhouse, you know, it, what's the word they've been using? Culture. culture. Yes. Culture. culture. Yeah. <laughs> been hearing a lot of that word culture. Uh, you know, obviously the, all the reports are saying that Pedro is going to be coming back. You and I have discussed this a little bit, uh, the last couple of weeks where, you know, it, 
he could save his job by going into an interview, an internal interview that we heard was, you know, conducted the last couple of weeks between, you know, all the front office people and coaches. And he could say, well, you know, things failed this season because nobody was buying into the culture that I was trying to establish with this team. So why not go out and and scoop up some of those guys that Beef Loaf was talking about where, you know, maybe you're looking for that second chance. You're looking for that resurgence. You might come into the game with with the heart that this team has been lacking the last few seasons. And, uh, you know, you might catch lightning in a bottle. So I, I'm I'm right there with you on that. It, it's a. Uh, you got to hope that there's somebody out there that can inject some energy into this team. Cause obviously there is none in the 2023 season. It has been an absolute disappointment when it comes to, you know, just a, a, any sort of inkling of consistency. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. It's like dead men walking, you know, all, you know, from the, from the beginning of the but, season. I mean, you know, if you start off seven and 21, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know exactly how the ball, like, uh, you know, like that, uh, you know, from the cartoons where the snowball starts rolling and it's really small. It's just a snowball at first, but then it ends up becoming like a complete avalanche. And that's, I mean, it's a, basically how it seemed to start. You know, it's like as soon as they came home, there was that one game by Kopech where he gave up like 18 home runs. And uh, <laughs> and then after that, yeah, it was a just... home opener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the home opener. It was like... <laughs> I, I said this last week, like who would have thought that that was going to be the omen of how the rest of the oh. season was going to go. Oh, we have an appearance for one of my three canine <laughs> friends here. Yeah. So, Oh, apparently he's not happy with me either. <laughs> I'm going to have well, the Sox I, played good in, in Houston before they came home. So it was like, Oh, oh. this looks like this is the team where we're, you know, and then we're going to come home and we'll, and, and we'll win some games here. And then no, that, that start off. I mean, I was at the game. Uh, against Tampa, where they broke the long losing streak, where it was pouring rain and it was like 38 degrees, and we were, you know, getting hypothermia out there. And Andrew Vaughn hit the uh, the, the walk off like home run. It's like, and it was, uh, you know, it's probably my favorite win in the last 10 years, only because we were dying. We were out there like we, we can't win a game. This team just can't win a game. And it's like you knew then uh, this is a bad team. We 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 really need some luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, so you know, like, uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, and and this this is something you know the you know obviously Davis Martin, his arm fell off, needed to have it operated on. Uh, Sean Burke, we have no idea where he went. He just disappeared, and uh, you know I'm sure somebody somewhere has an explanation, but hasn't really like nobody really knows where the heck this guy is or what happened to him. Um, there there is a couple of positive developments here in the last couple of days. Christian Mena got bumped up to Charlotte, um, and uh, so did Nick Nestrini um, from the, the Dodgers trade. Um, uh, I would assume that you're also going to get looks at those guys, and I would assume that they probably also don't want them in, sitting in Charlotte too long with you know that crazy park no. down there. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, would that interest you? For, for next season? Yeah, I mean, Christian may not interest me for this season. Like, I, I when when there was an injury, I, you know, I, I subscribed to there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. If someone's getting people out in double A, there's no reason they can't be getting people out on 35th Street over here. So, like, I was ready to bring him up. Now, he had a rough uh, patch in the middle of the season, 
he righted that, and now he's pitching well again. He's still a young guy. He's only 20 years old, and he's actually done the stuff at the levels, right? Everyone has promise. He actually has produced at all these levels and has built up an innings base where you could throw him in the rotation and not feel like, oh, okay, we, we have to baby the arm or whatever. He has actually gone out there and done the thing. Now, he doesn't have overwhelming velocity, but he seemed to succeed at every level. How about we just take the guys that are good and not worry about whatever the tools are? If the guy gets guys out, I'll take him. Bring, bring, bring him, and I'll see him in Chicago. And you know what, uh, Ian, Danny? There's going to be spots for these guys because even if they go out and grab some guys, no one stays healthy all year. And I would love it if – Give the guy a shot to win a rotation spot. And so what if you, you sign the guy for five, ten million in the offseason who's a throw that guy out if 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 Mana beats him out. Like I I would be very interested in it. Nostrini, I don't know much about other than I you know, I know the stuff is good and I know he came over in the Dodgers trade. But yeah, I'd be willing to try him out too. Uh, you know, Mana's been a little, uh, this longer putt. He's been in there and he's kind of like he was behind Norhe Vera. And then it was like he shot past Norhe. Now I, I don't even hear about Norhe Vera anymore. I don't even know what level Norhe Vera is in, but I know Christian Mena's on the precipice of the majors. He's yeah, in Winston Salem. He, okay. Right. Yeah, he's in Winston Salem. He uh, he just came back from the uh, the the ACL uh, the other day um, okay. to throw his first. Uh, yeah, it's like his in like two months his first appearance in two months and he threw i think uh one uh, one and two thirds innings and i can't remember i think he maybe gave up like four runs or something but it, you know it was the the velocity looked okay um they were um the visiting club so i didn't hear anything about uh what the what the velo looked like um but you know the pitch count for him is going to be a, a major issue if they try and do anything with him right now um Talking to uh, Kurt Bloom, uh, the the play by play guy for the for the Barons, um, one of the things that he said was that the super tack ball in Birmingham, pretty much, literally everybody hated it. Um, <laughs> Great, the, yeah. The the pitchers didn't know where the ball was going, um, and the hitters also did not know where the ball was going. So if it was anywhere close to the strike zone, or it looked like it was going to be anywhere close to the strike zone, they had to swing. So it kind of screwed up everybody's uh, everybody's numbers in the first half of the season. And uh, Christian Mena being one of those guys. And when you look at his numbers in the first half of the season, you kind of have to take that into account that he's throwing with a baseball that he doesn't know where exactly where it's going to go. Plus, you know he's also trying to work on different pitches, not just his curveball, because curveball is dominant. But the thing is, is that you know you're trying to get all this other stuff developed, and uh, you really you really can't. And you know, fortunately for uh, Nastrini, he didn't get traded here until the trade deadline, so he didn't end up having to pitch with that ball at all. Uh, being in the uh, uh, I forget which. Uh, which league he was in, but he didn't have to throw with that at all. And uh, he looks like a, a pretty well-developed pitcher. I think he'll fit. I mean, he'll certainly be an upgrade for Charlotte's rotation, which has been, you know, pretty <sighs> dreadful. Even, you know, after the trade deadline and the adding of uh, Urania and uh, Patino, you know, it's just you're adding yeah. all these all these guys. You know, it's uh, you well, see the jokes with the. Uh, you know, if the White Sox had the 2018 versions of these guys, it'd be the all-world team at that point. You know, um, yeah. Well, you know, as our uh, astound, our astounded, astounded, studious 
uh, guest has uh, mentioned, you know, uh, these guys could come up if they're getting people out at, say, the double A and, and even triple A level. Uh, you know, let's just say they did bring those guys up. If they were to fail, I, you know, you bring up the fact that Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease aren't exactly, you know, lighting the world on fire up there. I'm pretty sure these guys could probably come up and give you at least the same. You know, Michael Kopech, I think I saw a stat, you know, after the game here today, where his, his last 12 starts, he's got like a almost seven ERA. Uh, I'm big time. I'm pretty sure we could. I'm pretty sure we have a couple of guys that could come up from the minors and do exactly the same thing. So why not give them the opportunity to come up and walk eight guys a game and give up <laughs> fourteen <laughs> return, right, Danny? <laughs> I mean, you know, at least get that taste. Obviously, you know, people. Some people are going to say that's bad for development, but you know, get them a taste at at the MLB speed. Uh, against MLB hitters and let them work it out because uh, what else are we doing with these kids right now? And obviously this season is a throwaway at this point. So why are we waiting? You know, uh, you and I have discussed ad nauseum some of the other moves that we, you know, would make with position players. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they're waiting for. What are, what are we waiting for here? It, you know, we've got a handful of veterans that uh, are going out there we don't want to sacrifice mlb wins what what exactly are we doing with these wins we're not going anywhere with them so why are we sacrificing what what, what exactly is it that we're sacrificing pedro Grafal? i mean you know you're going to give us the uh, the rick Han lawyer speak as the manager and it's he's starting to sound more and more like tlr to me every day it's 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 unbelievable with some of the crap that comes out of this guy's mouth so I honestly, like, let's just do it. Let's get it rolling, man. Yeah, I'm going to bring that up in a second. That was uh, one of Grimtall's uh, uh, posts here in, in the Twitch chat here. I'll bring that up in a second. Um, so speaking of the, the pitchers coming here and pitching against these guys and giving them some at-bats, you know, giving them some time to pitch against these guys, uh, the young guys, and I saw your tweet, so now we get to argue. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I did so, see this tweet as well too. So you want to let's fight. <laughs> there's 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 three guys right now: uh, Lenin Sosa, Oscar Colas, and Corey Lee. Yep. And um, I've been you know ready to you, as soon as the trade deadline hit, and you didn't trade Yasmani Grandal. Nobody wanted Elvis Andrus. Uh, you know why would they? Right. Um, except for, you know, maybe somebody that's looking for a utility guy that can play middle infield specifically and doesn't have to hit, but even though he's on a heater right now, whatever. Um, but right. I was I was there ready to DFA both of those guys and get Carlos Perez, uh, a bunch of at-bats, and, you know, with Sebi being injured, go ahead, put Grandal on the bench, let Carlos Lee or uh, Carlos Lee get uh, Carlos Perez get those those at bats, you know, and and work behind the plate, and then once uh, either Corey Lee was ready, or if you really, really, really wanted to bring Sebi back, you know, you could bring Sebi back and put him in, put him as the uh, the backup until right. Corey Lee was ready. Same with Lenny and Sosa. Get rid of Elvis Andrus. Put. Lenin Sosa in there. Where do you stand on on these guys? 
It's, it's interesting. Well, let's talk about Colos first, okay? Because we, we didn't bring him up much there, but at the front you talked about him. Uh, I, I ran a query just to like look at early career uh, starts for uh, White Sox players, guys starting their career. And I, I ran it based on Lenin Sosa because of his uh, treacherous start so far, the first 37, 38 games. But what came out in the query, and it was 71 people since 1978, so I chose the year I was born. Even though people on the internet think I'm 50, I'm not 50 yet. I'll, I'll be there at some point, but sure. not 50 yet. And Oscar Colas was in the bottom five as far as OPS start of a career to make you realize how poorly he's hit. Now, and on top of that, some of the mental errors uh, on defense, which are just unconscionable. Like, he has the skill set to be a good defender in right field. He has a strong arm. He moves well. He seems to get decent jumps on the ball. All the stuff that he makes mistakes for is just, like, concentration stuff. Like, ball right at him. He doesn't pick it up, and the guy gets an extra base. He overthrows a cutoff person or whatever. So Just happened. Uh, and, and, yeah, it just happened in this game, right? And so he's inching up on 300 plate appearances where his OPS is in the 500s. Like, that's not usable. Like, that's not a major league player as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying you had DFA him tomorrow, but, I mean, how many how many more plate appearances do we think giving him will change this over? And so I, I, I lean to the same thing with Sosa. Now, Sosa has less plate appearances, but is still above 130. And he had the lowest OPS out of anyone, like as a start out of set. He was 71 out of 71, like a very, very bad start to a career. Now, in the last few days, he's hit a couple home runs, which I like. He's got some pop. Uh, the problem is, though, the other stuff still isn't really lining up. Like the batting average is still well below 200. He's got, I think he has 38 strikeouts to two walks. In, you know, 140 plate appearances, you can't make it with a 1% walk rate in the major leagues. Like, so I have my mind on Sosa, like, I get giving guys a chance because it's a throwaway last month or whatever. But also, like, once once this month's over, I, I don't, unless you go on a real heater, I'm not that interested in, in handing the position to you next year. Like, this is kind of my thought process with some of these guys. So, yeah. You can get, when this doesn't matter, you can get a month or two of plate appearances. But you really got to show something. You know, and, and these two guys, in my personal opinion, haven't shown a thing. Ian, you bring up uh, Carlos Perez. Now, Carlos Perez does look like he has a clue at the plate. Like, he looks like he knows how to hit. And, and like, like, he has decent control of the strike zone, everything. I wonder how much of it was just, like, they don't know if he's a major league catcher. And that's why they flipped Corey Lee in here to give, like, a look like, Okay, can Corey Lee be a major league backup catcher or something like that? Corey Lee doesn't look like he's a guy who's going to hit much, but he he throws uh, the hell out of the ball and looks athletic back there. So so maybe so that's kind of where I'm at with like this group right here. If you salvaged, uh, you know, one second division player out of this group, like I, when I when I ran the query on Sosa, I'm looking and I'm like, well, Yomer Sanchez had a pretty bad start to his career as well. Could he get could? Could Lenin Sosa give us six B-War over the next three seasons? Maybe. Maybe. The defense is pretty good. Maybe he figures enough out where he has the power and, like, he's okay. He's, like, a, a decent second baseman. So I'm, I'm into it, but I'm also – I think we need to, like, set a standard for these guys. Hey, you didn't cut it in this amount of time. Next guy's up, you know. <laughs> or we're, we're going to get a free agent because you just didn't do it. Yeah. I kind of th- – I'm yeah. going to say a couple of things here, and then I'll turn it over to you, Danny. Um as far as uh, Lenin Sosa goes, this is one thing that's been a, um, a normal thing for him, where he goes to a new level, 
and he looks like he's never played baseball before when he gets up up to the plate. And um, usually it takes about 150, 175 at-bats and consistent playing time, and then he just starts murdering the ball. And I think that's like part of the that's been part of the issue for him this year is that, you know, with him bouncing back and forth between levels, he's he's ne- he's never he's he's definitely a comfortability guy. And I don't feel that he's ever had a chance to get comfortable. And this was like an opportune time for that to happen because this team's been so piss poor since May. Yeah, I mean, really since opening day, but like you knew that the season was yeah. over in May and like the fact that they shipped him back down and, you know. You can talk, you know, Pedro, oh, well, yeah, it looks like when he came back, he really, he figured something out down there. And it's like, not really, man, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just consistent stuff. And then, you know, as far as Carlos Perez goes, yeah, I think that that was the, the, uh, the question was with whether or not he's a, um, an actual major league catcher is that his, his bat to balls good and he can hit the ball and he'll sometimes hit for power, which showed up, uh, Showed up last year, you know, where he just started hitting home runs all over the place. But, um, you know, yeah, that's right. Then the Colas thing, you know, he's got all the tools. I think it's just a, you know, you wait and see if he's going to figure it out. And if he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, and you call it a wash and it is what it is, you know. Uh, so what do you think, Danny? Uh, you know, I just to touch on that really quickly. I don't want to drag this out too long, but, you know, the Colas thing. Uh, even the Lenin thing, uh, I was kind of just, you know, again, on this, this throwaway of, of a second half of a season, because it's, it's become painfully obvious. This, this team is not the team that we hoped it would be, uh, for the last few years. And, you know, I would like to see these guys just get the opportunity to play consistently. Obviously Colas has been playing a lot more consistently than Lenin, but, uh, you know, I, I just want to see that if, they were given that time. Will they actually turn it around and perform? Because it's pretty obvious to me that the veterans are also lacking that focus. Uh, there seems to be a organizational issue when it comes to pitch selection. I mean, this is, you know, we got guys striking out at ridiculous levels, uh, you know, ridiculous numbers and paces at pretty much all the levels, except for the lowest of the levels. You go down to Winston-Salem you go down to Canapolis, and those guys seem to be performing at a much better clip when it, you know at the plate when it comes to pitch selection and their strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, you know, I just want to see if there is going to be any kind of change in the turnover in the organization here over the coming months. But you know, then again, if we do that, are we getting into next season? where uh, we've got to wait the first three or four months to see what we've got there and if any changes have actually been made. And as White Sox fans, the waiting has become (laughs) painful. It has been painful waiting for things to come to fruition because we're told something by spin doctors, it seems like, on a daily basis. And, and, you know, uh, Ray Khan, you know, uh, when he comes out that he, he, uh, David Kaplan saying that he wanted to, uh, you know, resign multiple times during his reign and, and Jerry was going to invoke his, his contract and he wasn't going to let him do it. You know, Rick, oh, Hunt oh boy, he's got to get paid millions to sit at home. I, I, right. I mean, right. Exactly. And I'm thinking yes. to myself, it, when I say spin doctors, this guy was the spin doctor of all spin doctors. I mean, he's lawyer. This dude could be, he could sell anything. 
you know, he can sell sand at the beach. So I, you know, who knows what we're going to get and what we're going to be told, but God, the waiting is, is, is just, be, I'm growing more and more impatient. If it's not obvious right now, like I'm about to crawl out of my seat and out of my skin as we talk about it. So yeah, I want to give these guys the opportunity, but at the same time, I'm tired of waiting. Yeah, no, so I hear you. Yeah, I mean, we were sold the bill of goods, you know, whatever. When was the last time we had a second baseman on this team? Like, when you start talking about Lenin Sosa coming yeah. up, oh, and he's finally starting to heat up, you know, half the fan base is like, oh, hey, where we go? The second baseman we've been waiting for. Well, not necessarily, you know. You look at the numbers, like B says, and they're, they're not that great. It's had a little bit of a turnaround on a hot streak, but... I mean, do we got to go back to like Tadahito Oguchi? Yes, yeah, that's exactly who you have to go back to. <laughs> I mean, what do we, what do we have be, be, between him and there? We what do you got? Ray Durham and and and, and uh, Alexi Ramirez played the one year at second. Yeah, in, in his rookie season. Was... <laughs> yeah, his rookie <laughs> season. He he played one season. You know, we we, we have Brent Lillibridge. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so I got one more thing. Uh, last seven games for Lenin Sosa, seven hundred and fifty OPS, two hundred and fifty batting average. Now, you know, and I'm going to do the same thing for Oscar Colas, but, you know, four of those games were against the A's, so is it real? I don't know. Uh, Oscar Colas, 350 with an 850 OPS. So let's hope that that's, you know, a uh, harbinger of things to come. Um, But I don't know because, like I said, against the A's, and then you see them go out tonight against uh, Grayson Rodriguez, who, you know, is a, he's, good. You know, he's he was the he was the top rated pitching prospect in the minor yeah. leagues last year. The guy's the guy was a stud. He started off slow with the Orioles, uh, you know, and after spending some time back in AAA, he came back and now he looks fantastic. So, um, you know, granted, just like we say, well, it was against the A's. Uh, he looked fantastic, but it was against the White Sox. So, um, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I you know, Ian, the wah, thing with wah. with Lenin too is. The bar's lower for second baseman. And, like, hitting 18 home runs, even with a poor, like, hitting profile and good defense, is probably enough to be decent at second in the major leagues. Like, you know, like, so it seems like he has enough pop there. But my question is more this with these two guys. Like, how many plate appearances did you, do you give them? Like, Colas is at two in between 250 and 300. Lenin's at, he's not up to 150. You were talking about Ian, he usually struggles for 100. 50 plate yeah. appearance. I think he's like 140 or something. Like, how long of a leash do you give guys like in this situation to find out? Because this is something I just pondered. I, I ponder a lot about like giving a guy a shot, right? Mm. Guys who are picked in the first round, they get unending amount of shots. Guys who are picked in the 10th round, they get 12 plate appearances one week because some guy got injured. And if they didn't do anything that day, like then they're out. Like it's it's weird, but like what's like an ideal amount where you're like Okay, uh, we we think this guy is uh, something or not, and we're and we're kind of ready to turn the page. Well, I you know my main feeling here on this whole thing is that you know th- this farm system has been maligned for a while, right? And so Lenin Sosa was one of the, the one of the brighter spots over the last couple of years, you know. And the thing about that is, yeah, he's got that number. But it's about him, you know, with him, it's always about, you know, having a consistency, having a routine and getting into 
a rhythm of doing things, and he hasn't been allowed to do that. Yes, he's hit the like that that magic number, you know, of like 150 at, at bats and whatever. But you know, it's it hasn't been consistent at all. And I think that no. that's I think that's kind of where like the thing that he's shown literally everywhere he's gone is that if he gets the consistent at bats, he works it out. You know, so that's that's kind of my thought. I mean, I, I'd say like. 150 consistent at bats would be would be nice um without having him sit you know every other day you know right and they seem to be starting to play him more regularly now and hopefully we'll get a full september where we get a look and we can really see yeah let's hope um so i want to stick with the theme of younger guys but this guy's not that young but you know in his career he's technically he's you know he's still Still on the on the on the lower side of service time, um, and he is a uh, known target of uh, the guy that's sitting in between me and Danny Miller here. Uh, Beef loaf, you hate yeah. Andrew Vaughn. <laughs> um, what does Andrew? I Vaughn, knew it was coming. Yeah, what does Andrew Vaughn have to do to get out of your doghouse? Okay, this is a good question, Ian, because I've, I've been a skeptic, we'll say, of Andrew Vaughn. And, and really not, not – I wouldn't call him a hater. I want him to be good. Like I, I really would – if he crushed at first base, I would absolutely love it. No one would love watching him hit a home runs more than me when I'm attending 70 games a year uh, You know, on 35th Street here. Um, but the issue is he's been given a lot of leash by the fans, a lot of – uh, you know, they take him for granted that, oh, okay, well, he's going to get better. He's going to, and he's kind of not gotten better over, over the course of 1500 plus plate appearances to get out of my doghouse. One of two things he has to do. Okay. And I, number one, I would love it if he put on, uh, 15, 20 pounds of muscle because he can't move anyway. So who gives a yeah. shit? Get yourself stronger and bash the ball to the ballpark and be a 25 to 30 home run hitter kind of consistently and be that run producer that. When, when he was out of his mind at the beginning of the year, uh, his batting average with runners in scoring position was insane. And everyone's like, he just he drives in runs, though, so he's fine, beef. And I looked the other day, and he's tied for 55th in Major League Baseball in RBIs. They're like, well, that cooled down. That's not, not what it's there. So either he's got to crush the ball, which I don't think he's ever going to end up being that guy. Or uh, Ian Danny, what he needs to do is hit 280 or 290. Yeah. Like, I, like, I think he needs to – someone told me this uh, not too long ago. They're like, he's he's like Mark Grace at first base. We would think of him as a power hitter, but he needs to be a, a guy who hits for average. And I was thinking about it. I was like – needs to be. If, if, if Andrew Vaughn hit 290 or 280, that would push everything else up because he doesn't walk a whole ton. Right. And and the reason he doesn't walk a whole ton it has nothing to do with identifying pitches. He He has a good eye. He understands what's what up there. They're just not afraid of him. You know, they're not afraid that he's going to hit the ball in the ballpark. And a lot of times that's what draws the walks for these guys. So he, he's, I think he's got to push his batting average up. So I would, I would change course. Either you put on muscle and then, okay, we're going to pull balls out of the ballpark. If you don't do that, if you stick with the body that you currently have, I would revert to looking to right center and, and punching balls to the alleys like he first did when he came up, where it was like, oh, he looks like a doubles hitter. And I would just revert to that. But I don't think he's ever going to be – the guy that was promised, and uh, that is what it is. You know, that's you know that maybe just who he is at this point. He's a ring up Belko. 
I just watched that on Netflix. The, uh, the, oh, the fantastic. That was great. It was, I loved it. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so Grimtall answered the question for you. He said, uh, grow five inches. Um, that would help. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> hence my Belco comments, you know, we all know bear size grew like 17 sizes and his feet, you yeah. know, were like boats, but, uh, yeah, we're kind of hoping if, uh, if Andrew got his hands on some, some, uh, human growth hormone, maybe he'd, you know, kill a couple inches taller, you know, well, his hat would he'd get be able bigger. to snag some of those, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, just hoping he'd be able to snag some of those errant, uh, TA throws and, uh, you know, swing the bat, you know, get it off your shoulder and yeah. uh, actually put the ball out of the infield. So aggravating. Um, Grimtall also says as fourth overall pick, he needs to mash. And I, I don't yeah, disagree. I mean, it's been, uh, it's been disappointing, you know, I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yeah. You know, it's, I haven't been like a uh, ardent uh, Andrew Vaughn supporter, um, but I was all about giving him time, but you know, like we're going on, you know, two years now, and I'm not seeing like really any growth here, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, he's arbitration eligible next year, uh, guys. So, I mean, like, so he's going to start uh, getting raises, significant raises, and it's like, okay, you're you, the early part of your career here is done. Like, you, you really need to be much more productive. And if you look at him, like, uh, if you look at first base rankings, like, he's a second division first baseman. Like, he, he probably on a good team, he probably hits sixth or seventh you know like i i don't know so i don't know if there's another gear there or what but we have to hope there is because you know we traded jake Berger, so that's uh there there was your other first baseman potentially mm-hmm. you know xavier yeah. fernandez has entered the chat yeah. um <laughs> so uh I, let's let's move along here um so something uh i was i was uh we had herb lawrence on last week and oh, nice. uh, I, I was i was uh I was another like, fantastic guest, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he was great. Um, He's the best. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here uh, texting with him back and forth afterwards the next day, and uh, he he responds to me. He says, "Hey, this news coming out is crazy." And like I had seen like some like a blurb pop pop up on my phone, you know, saying Rick Hahn, but I was driving, you know, so I was like, "Oh well, I you know, obviously I'm not going to look at it." But uh, you know, is this you know like I read you know my. Uh, car chat thing reads the thing and says that's this new crazy news and i was like oh what the heck's going on here so i pulled over and looked and saw that kenny williams and rick Hahn had been relieved of their responsibilities um now i see where herb uh rakes on your uh on your your list of priorities by the way I'm sure if he got a text from Danny Miller, he would not pull over. <laughs> Pshaw. Um, so they're, they're old buddies. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are. They are indeed. So uh, KW and Rick Hahn get relieved of their duties. Now, here's a question: That doesn't say they've been fired into the sun, right? So. Um, yeah. Are they gone? Gone? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I would think they're gone. Gone. Yeah, <laughs> I think relieved of your duties means you're. Uh, yeah, you're no longer needed here, and we're going to change the locks on your office. I, that would, that's what it sounds like to me. Just hope. a nice way of saying it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that they're being far too nice given the results. Um, Agreed. <laughs> I'm far more concerned with the reports of who is going to replace them, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, very that's shortly that's here. coming here. Um, 
so I, obviously the you've been a uh, a harsh critic of uh, one Rick Hahn. Uh, and, and rightfully so, you know, like I, I felt like, you know, me and Danny, we tried to, uh, to stay, um, on the nice side of, uh, Rick Hahn. I defended him quite hard for a while, actually. Yeah. We, we, we were like some of the late, some of the really late Foolishly. adopters of the, okay, he, it's time to go. You know, um, you are not one of those people. <laughs> um, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we we uh, we bounced some messages back and forth on on Twitter, and we celebrated. Um, so, the report that came out immediately afterwards is that Chris Getz is a favorite for the GM position, and that Dayton Moore was going to be hired as well. Uh, with later you find out that he is going, you know, he's like a father figure to him and he's actually going to be working under Chris Getz. Um, That's weird. Does this make you as almost as angry as Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams? Uh, Yes, almost like, uh, although it's possible that uh, Chris Getz would have some different ideas than these guys did. And then Dayton Moore would come in some, with some different ideas. But ideally when you, you know, do something you haven't done in your organization in 20 years. You cut guys who have been here, you know, for the better part of the century. You would think you might want to go in some totally different direction. Not a guy who was sitting right there next to them, potentially part of this problem, right? And and we've talked about this, uh, you know, the, the, the farm system hasn't really uh, – it, it failed during during this uh, uh, this uh, uh, competitive window because it didn't bring the reinforcements that were needed at the time. Now, there's improvements starting to come through, and high-end prospects are starting to move that, that look great, like Noah Schultz and Colson Montgomery. But it's too little too late for that last window. And I'm not sure, uh, you know, you're willing to, like, credit that guy who didn't reinforce the the roster at all with anything from the minors. And he's been here a while now. I mean, it's not like Getz just got here two or three years ago. I think he's on year seven or something like that with the organization. So, yeah, I, I mean, it was sickening to see right afterwards. And I almost wanted to just assume, like, this was just... Uh, Bob Nightingale running with some shit and not really knowing what's going on. Like, I, I, my fingers were crossed that they would do an actual real search. And look, even if it's someone that I'm not a fan of, but as long as they're from the outside, they come in here and it's a completely different regime, I'll be happy in the interim and give them a fair shake. Chris Getz will probably have about 15 minutes of me giving him a fair shake uh, until he screws one thing up and then he'll be on my shit list. <laughs> Agreed. A hundred percent. I eat. You no, know, the thing is, is when you fire, first of all, mid season, which we have not ever seen as Sox right. fans, at least not in my lifetime where there is a change before the season ends. Uh, so that's a first and, and, you know, kudos to, you know, doing that, I guess, but I mean, uh, you're, you're talking about firing two guys who have pretty much been epic failures during their entire tenure with the White Sox, aside from, you know, lightning in the bottle in, in 2005 uh, with Kenny Williams. But, you know, you, you fire these guys for ineptitude only to promote a guy who has pretty much failed on a miserable level 
during his reign right. in his job. <laughs> we're just going to go ahead. We're going to take two inept guys and we're going to bring another inept guy and elevate him in this position. It seems like it's the White Sox way, but I, you know, like you say, I, we all kind of hope that Bob is just, you know, blowing smoke out there. He's trying to be that guy who, you know, back in the day used to break a story every now and again. And maybe he's trying to prove that he can still do that because, you know, it was only a couple days later where there was all of a sudden, you know, whispers of other uh, candidates being out there. You know, White Sox Twitter erupted or whatever it is. White Sox X now. (laughs) WSX. You know, I don't know if it was. Like Ian asked if, you know, was that just smoke and mirrors to see how we would react? But, uh, you know, when there were other reports of of other names being tossed around out there, guys from the, the, you know, the Orioles organization and, you know, other places, I thought, okay, well, maybe that was just Bob doing his thing. But then now we're getting more reports of, no, it's Chris Getz and it's Dayton Moore. You know, and I think about Dayton Moore. You know, what's kind of funny, though, is it doesn't seem like anyone has a report of, X person interviewed for this job. It all seems like speculation, which is kind of funny, right? Like I, like I, I listened to something with Tom Verducci. He was on the score today, and was like, and the, the, I listened to like five minutes of this. I'm like, this guy has no idea who is interviewing for this job at all. No, he has no clue. And I'm like, and, and it doesn't seem like anyone has like a grip on. Oh, this person did meet with Jerry Reinsdorf and, and crew and, and interviewed for this job. It's kind of a weird situation. On the one hand, you think, okay, no one knows what they're talking about. On the other hand, if no one's interviewing, that's a bad sign. That might mean that Chris Getz is going to get the job. Well, I heard uh, yeah. that Chris Getz flourished uh, as the <laughs> director of the Allegedly. minor leagues. Uh, and I, I would like you to rate the amount of flourishment you think he has. Uh, cause I'm not, uh, personally, um, I, I, I if it was a, a one to 10 flourishment meter, uh, I would probably say we're looking at like a two and a half, um, I feel like, uh, you know, and granted, I would not even use the word flourish. So, you know, you know there's yeah, my answer. Certainly not. Um, <laughs> but you, know, you see, you know, I, I, I am the first person when any, you know, anybody brings up, oh, well, the minor league system's garbage is that it's taken a turn in the right direction the last two years. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the hiring of Andy Barquette and them working on a, uh, organizational wide, uh, you know, I mean, whether guys follow it or not, but th- there is a, there, there is an arrow pointed in a certain direction, the way they want guys to do things. And the yeah. guys, that by the way, that, we've reached the point of the show where, where I start ripping heaters back to back here because I'm, I'm yes. starting to get, the, <laughs> starting to get oh, yeah, the agita, you know, getting the agita here, man. I mean, it's, you know, we start talking <laughs> We're getting on those subjects where I'm just going to start chain smoking over here. So please continue. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Um, you know, I think I think that the, you know that they they have taken a, a positive developmental upturn uh, recently. But here's the thing: is that because we are looking at uh, better drafts uh, with better decisions made now that we have Mike Shirley at the helm of things instead of. Uh, Nick Hosteller, you know, and I, I, I don't have an answer for that. You know, I mean, that's one thing is that everybody always talks about, oh, well, the development sucks, the development sucks, the development sucks. Well, what about the, you know, who, you know, like who's deciding? The talent evaluation. Yeah, who's, it, who's making the selections here? Exactly. This is, it's a, a great point, Ian, because 
You came on my uh, podcast and we talked about Chris Getz, and you mentioned that yeah, they've made some improvements to you know kind of what they're doing down there, and so this is some of the values have. But you're right, the results aren't coming. I'd had Mike Rankin from Future Sox on four, and he echoed a lot of the things that you're saying. It's like they brought in some good people, they changed some things about the way they're doing it, but yeah, none of it's getting up here. And to dovetail with that, I, I listen to, I don't normally care that much about the draft coverage mm-hmm. of any year because I don't know anybody and I don't watch college baseball. I listened to Sox Machine. Uh, Josh Nelson had Jim Callis on there. And Jim Callis went off on a tangent and he said, you know, sometimes it's not the development. You know, the teams generally know how to develop a player. Sometimes it's just talent evaluation. You yeah. just pick guys that aren't good. Like, yeah. And I thought, what balls on this guy to say this, which I loved. And then I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Some teams are going to be better at identifying talent. And it's less about this one key trick to get you to unlock something and more about the guys we're working with are just better than those other guys that those guys are working with. Yeah. I mean, you just, you, you know, if you can identify somebody that has the higher ceiling that just hasn't been there and, you know, the, the process is there, it just hasn't, the results haven't hit yet. And you give them a little bit of time to build that up. And maybe that's why there's better results now. And, uh, you know, you know, over the last two seasons, I, I kind of think that it might've been the talent, talent evaluation and who was making the decision on who, you know, who was getting drafted, you know, because things have taken uh, quite a turn I feel here in the last couple of years. I mean, just the, like the, even like the, the college guys that they're getting are just better. Yeah. I I have to agree with you there. And I kind of want to know what beef thinks of uh, Mr. Mike Shirley, because I know what you think. And I got to tell you, you know, I don't think there's anybody out there that watches more minor league baseball than Ian, including the White Sox scouting department. So hundred percent, it feels that way anyway. But uh, I just, you know, I just kind of want to get your thoughts beef on, uh, you know, do you have anything, you know, that you want to get out there about Mike Shirley or, you know, I do. I'll tell you, I do like Mike Shirley. So Mike Shirley's first draft, if I remember correctly, was 2020. It was the weird, uh, the COVID year. And, and what I've noticed about him up top is he's not afraid to take substantial risks if he thinks the upside's there. So he he took Garrett Crochet that first year. Now, that's not really working out that great. And then he doubled down and went Jared Kelly, and that's not working out that great either. But he went for ceiling. He tried to draft Dwight Gooden, not some back-end starter. And that's what you do. Like, who cares if they crap out? A lot of them are going to crap out anyway, draft for the ceiling. You know, he drafts uh, Colson Montgomery, who's a cold-weather player, older. Like, everyone's scared to draft the guy because he's older in high school. Good. Those are the kind of risks you take right there when you're in the back of the first round. You won't always bink him like he binked that one, but that's, like, a good risk. He takes uh, Noah Schultz, who's like, well, you can't develop a, a 6'9 uh, pitcher. Bad. Well, let's try it. Let's let's take some risks. So I, I like it from a risk standpoint. Like, I don't know a lot about... Uh, the, the further back in the drafts, but he seems well. Even this year, he took that huge kid. That's a local guy. That George, whatever George his name Wolkow. is, is like yeah, yeah. That's a good risk. Okay, you paid him a million dollars or whatever. Who cares if it doesn't work? Great, but you know he might be Dave Winfield. I don't know. Like take a risk, take some shots, and he seems to be willing to like actually take some risks here, not just like take some safe guy so that he could show he got five guys to the majors that were useless. Like let's draft a star or two. Yeah, I mean that's that seemed to be like a uh, an ongoing theme, you know, from like uh, 2016 to 2019 um, with those drafts. You know, like you got, uh, you know, Zach Collins. I mean, you just got like all these guys. You know, you got these guys that were like 
you know, I mean, granted, Jake Berger, you know, we'll get to him in a second, but, uh, you know, 2017, <laughs> then he has a double Achilles. So we we didn't really see that, you know. Um, you know, you got a, a Romy Gonzalez in there, you know, but there there's like, obviously, there's a lot of rounds, and you've seen just a, a, sm, a small amount of these guys, you know, Zach Remillard coming through, uh, you know, it's been small stuff. Uh, Declan Cronin, uh, Lane Ramsey, they're starting to make their, you know, matriculate their way up to, uh, up to 35th right. and Shields. But I mean, for the most part, yeah, it's like, it was all safe guys, you know, and they didn't shoot for the, they didn't shoot for the stars. And the one guy I think that, uh, that they did, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, Bryce, uh, Bryce Bush. Oh yeah, know. yeah. They gave him a big bonus and later, kind of later in the draft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he okay, ended, that's a good shot to take. You it know? was, and unfortunately, you know, he get, he got a uh, a concussion or uh, or five, and uh, and apparently things like he's still having issues now with blurred vision and oh, stuff. And now, like, I mean, you know, I I feel terrible for the guy. I mean, not to make a, a joke about all the concussions, but I mean, you know, it seems like something happened and it just never got right. And that was like the, that was like the one guy that they, you know, like the, the, the bonus baby that they went for late in the, late in the draft. And it just, you know, it just didn't end up working out and is what it is. But, um, all right. So, uh, KW with one last parting jab, as he walks out the door, uh, he trades, he calls up his, uh, or he gets a call from his, uh, his his old oh. friend Kim Eng down in Florida, and uh, she wants Jake Berger. And yeah, they got to trade... pile up another heater here, man. Jesus, <laughs> they trade Jake Berger for Jake Eater, and uh, you know, I, as a known prospect tugger, uh, every time I see this guy pitch, you know, he had Tommy John, and then immediately after, you know, like during his rehab, he fractured his foot. So the guy really didn't get to throw a whole lot. He had it, uh, the Tommy John in August of 2021. And then in his rehab last year, uh, he ended up fracturing his foot. So he came back late this year. So now he's at 50 innings pitched and he looks kind of gassed. And, uh, you know, he's had a couple of blown blow up innings, uh, but the stuff's really, really nasty. And he, uh, pre Tommy John, he skipped, uh, all levels, went straight to double a from college, had a one ninety two ERA with a 095, uh, left-handed hitters batting average against, and like one ninety five right-handers, uh, against right-handers. Um, the guy was, uh, I think he had like a 0.92 whip or something. Uh, he was, uh, you know, ridiculous. So the pedigree is there, you know, the skill set is there. It's just going to take some time for him to build back from it. But you are not, uh, you're not a fan of, uh, letting Berger go. Um, let me hear it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote a blog. Well, I, I mean, I was driving uh, to Lake House. We were going on vacation, and, and uh, I'm in the car with my daughter. We drove a couple cars up. My wife drove our dog up, whatever. And like, I, as we're getting closer, my, my phone's starting to blow up with people like messaging me or like Twitter because I have all the you know everyone Ken Rosenthal and all these guys, so that it pops up, especially about the trade deadline. And when we get there, I'm kind of like, wait, Jake Berger got traded? Why? Why? It did. It wasn't one of the expiring contracts. I was a little surprised. And so when I actually, you know, so emotionally I didn't like it because I'm like, I'm enjoying watching Jake Berger play. It's one of the few reasons to watch this current White Sox team. But I'm open-minded to the fact that 
it's a team with a lot of similar pieces, and unlocking one or two of those, these pieces makes sense to me. You know, when you have guys who are like uh, Berger and Eloy and and Vaughn, all these right-handed hitters that you know the the kind of like minimal position uh, versatility, that sort of thing. So I, th- I thought I'll let my mind go for a couple days. When I sat down to write about it, I I looked at it strictly from the Berger side of like what would have to happen for the White Sox to win the trade versus for them to lose the trade dramatically. And I just feel like there's still more upside in, in Jake Berger's bat. And I think we undervalue how important slugging is in the kind of uh, current major leagues. Like he was slugging 850 when he left or something like I, I mean, sorry, he was OPSing 850 when yeah. he left. And it was like, you know, top 20 in the league or something like that. You know, and his slug was top 15 in the league. And it's like, that's really valuable. Let's let's say he never becomes better on defense and he never becomes better, more patient or whatever. That's still a pretty like decent player, usable player, especially when they have all this control. And so I was looking at it from that perspective. Now, and I agree with you, uh, Jake Eater, they got back. Uh, was a top hundred prospect and it has pedigree here, but pitchers are always riskier, and you know, and so you kind of dumped a guy that you at least knew you had something going here, and the control doesn't matter, right? He he's got he would be controllable till twenty twenty nine, so it's not like you know I could see it if it was Eloy or someone, and it's like well they only have a couple more years of control here, and then and then you're you're turning out a, a guy here, but I just feel like there's ways the White Sox could lose this spectacularly. And there are ways to win it too, uh, but you know I, I'm just I'm kind of waiting to see. Emotionally sad, uh, analytically uh, scared. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, well, if you look, you know, like I'm a generally when I look at a guy, you know, yeah, I look at OPS and OPS plus, WRC plus, all that stuff. Uh, I tend to and and you know, slugging obviously is part of that. But uh, one thing that I look at a lot is ISO and. Uh, you know, he had a 313 ISO with the White Sox when they traded him. I mean, he's only got a 138 ISO with the with the Marlins right now. So yep. he was putting up a lot more power with the White Sox. Um, and I, I'll be honest, um, I like Jake a lot. Uh, I think he's a, a great dude, and he does, like, some awesome things uh, for mental health and that, uh, you know, he, he can play baseball. You know, I, I'm – fairly confident that he's a good baseball player, but I do think that his numbers are going to come back to earth a little bit um, from what he's doing uh, on a contact uh, rate down in, in Florida. Um, That said, I I said to somebody the other day, they're like, this trades, you know, this trade looks worse and worse by the day about this after Jake Eater went out and threw like four innings and gave up five runs. And I was like, you know, the guy's 50 innings out from TJ and a fracture in his foot. And, uh, but, you know, if you want to be mad at KW, I'm not going to talk you out of that because the guy's an <laughs> idiot, well, you know? <laughs> You're, you know, you're right. You're going to see a little more time, uh, you know, to really know who won or lost. But I was heartbroken. I'm sorry, Dana. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 absolutely. Because uh, I am actually. Oh, what? What's up? Did you turn on your. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what <laughs> is going himself. on here? <laughs> uh, yeah. Anywho, no, I was just saying it, it, it's completely fine because I'm actually in agreement with you. And Ian will tell you 
I mean, if it's not already obvious, I can get pretty emotional when it comes to the White Sox. <laughs> and I can, you know, in in order to stop myself from making the emotional tweet or post on Facebook or going, you know, all ham on somebody, yeah. I uh, I tend to do it now in our private chat with the, you know, us and the other members of White Sox Daily. And uh, I immediately was in that chat like, what the just happened? Are you freaking kidding me? I was not happy. I really didn't know who Jake Eater was. You know, Ian kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit. But at the same time, you know, everybody keeps saying, and, and Ian's not the only one saying it, when they say Jake Berger is probably not going to be able to sustain the tear that he went on, you know, when he joined the Marlins organization. But at the same right. time, there's part of me that says, okay, maybe he's not going to sustain totally. But uh, I feel like, I don't know, maybe there's a coaching staff there that has kind of unlocked his bat because Jake was drafted for his bat, yep. uh, you know, and it, he was he was supposed to be one of the better hitters in his draft class. I don't know. Maybe there's a coaching staff there that has unlocked something that Jake has been missing. You know, uh, it's not like anybody else on this White Sox team has uh, developed a bat in the last, oh, I don't know, however many years. You know, we can go back to long before Todd Steverson or any of those. I, like, There's not, well, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Who who have you seen develop a bat with the White Sox? Luis Robert, of course, you know, second half has looked much better. Uh, we finally seen a, a full season of him being mostly healthy. You know, Aloy, again, he has his ups and downs, but there's nobody really on this team doing anything except for when Jake Berger was out there hitting dingers. And like you, like Beef pointed out, you know, uh, slug is probably pretty big, especially in a ballpark like, you know, guaranteed rate field. I still call it Comiskey. We need people to lift home runs out of this park, Danny. That's what we need. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's in the top five hitter friendly ballparks as far as home runs are concerned. And this White Sox team is in the bottom at hitting home runs at home. At their own point. We sure give up plenty against the opposing team. So what in <laughs> what on earth are we doing here? So yeah, I don't know. Uh I'm with you. I, I really hope that Jake Eater pans out, but it was tough. It was really, really tough to see Jake Berger go somewhere else and do the things that he's been doing since. It, I mean, honestly, right off the bat, we do kind of look like losers in the situation. But time will tell when it, when Jake Eater makes his way through the system. So I don't it's know, but I'm with you. Man. You bring that up, Danny, about the improvements because I, I took a quick look at it recently. I'll, I'll look occasionally, but I, much like when anyone leaves the White Sox, I don't pay a lot of attention to them anymore. I'm like, well, I got enough to worry about with our, our group of knuckleheads. But uh, one thing I did notice is that the K rate is, has gone down, and that's like kind of a positive thing for him. Like when I was analyzing like what could happen, one of the things I did was like I just took his walk rate from whatever it was, 7%. And I said, what if he became the kind of guy that walks 10% of the time? and keeps this power. Yeah, and he becomes a monster. Like the you know like there's there's a level in there where if he finds it like he's he's a guy that is a permanent DH and like you don't worry about it. You know, like he's just going to be a monster power hitter. That potential's like still in there somewhere. Will he ever hit it? I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Most guys don't end up improving enough to like get to all of whatever they got. But like, it was the part that scared me. I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, this would be the kind of guy we would love to put, you know, hitting third or fourth in this lineup. And you just traded them away, uh, you know, with all this team control. And that's where I was uh, with you, Danny. He's like, what the hell? What is this? You're like, we, what happened? I mean, <laughs> and you say in a season that was completely lost, basically from day one. 
you know, we had something to watch and pay attention to be and be happy about. And you took that away. You took the wind out of our sails. And it almost felt like a big F you after this fan base has been, you know, chanting sell at games and, you know, <laughs> F you Jerry and all the, you know, all the things that, that you see that maybe you're not super proud of, you know, when you're, you're there in person, like you are, like you say, 70 games a year, but <laughs> roughly, mm, yeah. you know, uh, it just felt like the organization was like, Oh, F you to us and, and, and fire Jerry and her, you know, sell the team, Jerry and fire Han and Kenny. Oh, well, here's one last F you to the fans. You know, I, I it just <laughs> felt that way to me. Oh yeah. And the thing was, is that, uh, you know, f- by the, the story that I heard is that, you know, Rick Han was walking by and heard the phone conversation saying, well, we've got a deal. And he found that's how he found out about Jake Berger being traded. So, you know, I, you know, by all by all accounts, is that just that that's uh, like a kind of just a, a toxic relationship. And you know, you you mentioned earlier that Rick Hahn tried to quit uh, numerous times, apparently. And Jerry's like, "Yeah, no, I'm not letting you quit." So, um, what a train wreck. Uh, so we go from one embarrassing thing. Let's talk about something that's even more embarrassing and puts an even bigger black eye on the organization. Uh, Friday night, um, the A's are in town. It's uh, I love the 90s night. Uh, Tone Loke and Rob Bass and Vanilla Ice are playing a show after after the Don't game's over. Uh, the White Sox go out and lose 12-4. to 4. And get smoked. And it comes out after the game that two women got shot at the game. Nobody knew anything about it. The game wasn't stopped. Uh, They only evacuated like three rows. And um, nobody knows how the gun got into the stadium whether the gun was in the stadium, whether it got shot from outside. There are some interesting theories on that, by the way. Yeah, uh, I'm bringing that up in a second. So, you know, after uh, on like Sunday, people started thinking, oh, well, it uh, it must have it came in from outside of the park. And so the CPD comes out today and say, that is not the case. It did not come from outside the park. It was definitely in the park. And, um. As somebody that was at the game, did you have any idea what was going on? None whatsoever. I'll be perfectly honest with you. We knew nothing until it was it was in the bottom of the ninth inning. We started getting some DM messages that there were SWAT teams heading to Sox Park. We thought there was something going on outside. We thought <sighs> we thought it was an outside thing because we didn't hear anything. There was nothing during the in in the ballpark that we're like made us aware that something was going on. And that was that's kind of the weirdest thing about this. Like, you know, the the game comes to an end. You could tell like the the grounds crew is ready to like bring out tarps and like get the stage set up. And probably two minutes after the game ends, they put the thing on the scoreboard that they're having technical difficulties. And so the concert's canceled. And because of the incoming DMs and people started reaching out to cop friends that they knew, like, what's going on here? We knew something had happened. It was allegedly someone had gotten shot. First thing we heard was someone got shot outside gate four. Then we heard, uh, you know, someone got shot in the parking lot. 
Then we heard some rumors that it was in the stadium. And we're all looking around like, in the stadium thing's got to be BS. We've been here the whole time. No one heard a gunshot. Nobody saw people run. Like, we're on the other side of the ballpark. But believe you me, guys, when there's a fight in left field, everyone gets their eyes on it. We catch that right away. And the commotion uh, attracts your attention. It shocked me, and I don't know the logistics of this, that I did not hear a gunshot, but apparently there was one. I didn't hear it in the stadium. And I was wondering, like, I grew up in Bridgeport before it was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was a little kid and I, I live west of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah was, the, the 90s, the 80s and 90s. Uh, yeah, early 80s, 90s, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, 80s, early it's, 90s. Uh, I, I'm, I, grew, I was born in 1978, and I lived on the west side of Bridgeport. I lived very close to Morgan Street, which was littered with gangs at the time, okay? And, and so as a kid, we'd hear gunshots all the time, and you could hear them from blocks away. Now, the difference is 25,000 people weren't also there making noise, so I have no idea if I would hear a gunshot or not hear one, but my... Th- instinct was that's crazy couldn't happen right and we finally hear the story about like the magic bullet that allegedly came from outside of the stadium so that next morning my daughter and i drove over to 42nd and wells and we're we're in the car we're we're over there we're like i don't know man this seems like a uh, this would be a miracle if this (laughs) this is actually the truth you know so i don't personally know what to believe but what's most hilarious we were talking about it sunday after the sunday soak and uh, my buddy, Aloha, Mr. Hand, is like, they need to just come out with a press conference and do, like, crisis management here and just say, look, you know, we're still investigating this, but here's the things we're going to do to make sure that everyone's safe going forward and nip it in the bud. But they haven't done any of that. They've just let it lay out there, and there's 50 million different rumors about what's going on. And no one seems to really know what happened at this point. Like, you can't get anything clear. You just have CPD saying, we told the Sox to do this. And, you know, the the Sox not really even addressing it at all, just kind of leaving it lay there. It's a very strange situation, although for this organization, probably par for the course. Um, There is a... uh... A rumor going around, and I'll bring that up in a second. But uh, so Grimtall and I, uh, we grew up together, um, and he's roughly about the same age as me. His dad in the '90s, his dad drove him down to Bridgeport, drove me around, and said, "Is this what you want? Go to college." <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I, you know. It- Ian's a uh, Ian's a, a suburbanite. I am. He doesn't know anything about you know real gangs. <laughs> oh, or... I do. Oh, I do. Just not from where I grew up. All right. Oh well. Okay. All right. Not in not in your own backyard per se. Yeah. I am a uh, I am a Southsider, tried and true myself. I'm a a Midway kid who, uh, who nice. I mean I lived in right in a little pocket called Chrysler Village where uh, we didn't necessarily have a lot of gangs in our neighborhood. But uh, it was a we were kind of sandwiched between a bunch and it was a contested area. So we kind of were our own gang trying to keep them out. But, yeah, man, uh, <laughs> I'm going to guess you didn't have to deal with any of that over there. Uh, you know, we had like Western a, suburbs. Yeah, we had we had a little bit of stuff like when I was Sorry. like a senior in high school or whatever. Um, I had to throw that dig out there. Uh, it's all good, man. I'll uh, I'll wear it. I'll wear it. Uh, yeah, and Grimtall brings up in the comment. He says, uh, "My dad grew up on on, on low." Um, so both of his nice. both of his parents are are city people, you know. Um, so you know they 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 knew exactly. You know his dad knew what he was what he was saying. Anywho, um, have you seen this uh, obnoxious story that was uh, put up? Um, 
on the interwebs today, and I don't know if there is any bit of truth to it whatsoever, uh, but there is something along the lines of some lady uh, in a, in fat folds is putting a gun and like I, I'm just saying like I like I'm saying I don't have any idea if it's true. It's it's, it's certainly obnoxious, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I I didn't. I didn't read it. I know what story you're talking about. I did not read it. So my uh, so my friends were like, "Oh, did you see this?" I'm like, I, "I'm not reading that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is." Like, <laughs> I'll wait. I'll wait till there's an official story that comes out and then tell me. I'm I'm good about also. Uh, here's what I'm happy about. Seemingly, you know, other than uh, the people who sustained uh, very minor injuries, from what I could tell, no one was injured, and so we got lucky this time. Nothing bad really happened. They need to fix the shit for next time. (laughs) Yeah, so I've got one last thing to talk about before we get to uh, just some fun fun stuff. Um, But this hasn't been fun up until now? No, no. I'm saying, you know, like actual fun topics instead of stuff that makes you feel like you're getting kicked in the junk. Um, I do do have one more thing to say about this whole shooting incident. And, uh, you know, if... In fact, now that the, the CPD is saying that the, the the gunfire came from inside the park, whether it was shoved under somebody's belly roll or whatever, uh, you know, I don't really care either here nor there. But, you know, we've talked a lot about security at, uh, you know, the, yes, the field, have. the stadium there and uh, how, you know, piss poor entering the ballpark can be at times, especially giveaway days. But, uh, you know. Anytime there's a large crowd, it's it's slow. And it, you know, going back years to when I was uh, working uh, with a third party vendor at the the game, it's the same security system that's been there for God knows however long since it Do opened. Do you think that there's yeah? Do you think that there's a chance now, maybe possibly, that we get an updated security system at uh, good old U.S. Comiscular Rate Field over there? Uh, I sure hope so, you know, because I, I've gone to Wrigley recently, and they have the updated one. You don't empty your pockets, nothing. And people get into the ballpark fast. And, like, you know, this situation aside, that would be great for business, you'd think. Now you're going to get people in there so much faster. They can get concessions and get to their seat. It's a much more enjoyable experience. Imagine. Like, this is I'm just saying. Stuff. Even if you just had one, even if you had one gate where you had all that technology, it's like, that's the fast gate. Everyone know to go there. Fine. If there's a line there, then you go to the other ones. I, I don't. I don't understand it. Like it seems like the most obvious thing. Get get people in the ballpark quicker. Give them the most amount of ways to pay for stuff. Like all this is like the the easy stuff. I would think. Yeah, that's the thing that j- driven me nuts. And uh, we've talked about it umpteen times on this stream. So I'm not going to get too depth in depth. But uh, I work at a casino, and uh, when when the pandemic hit. We had uh, an x-ray when people would walk through the doors that would read their temperature. So we knew if anybody that was coming in had a fever. We also have ones that can uh, that are just like the ones at Wrigley where they can tell if there's a gun. It's not that difficult, you know? It's just you right. have to invest a little bit of money. And I don't know who's to blame, whether it's uh, the city of Chicago because it's technically their park or whether it's the White Sox. But whoever it is, they need to sort it out and... Clearly, if this is not what is going to spur that kind of change, I don't know what like what more needs to happen for them to uh, to make that change. Um, so, 
Uh, Grimtall says Jerry stage a shooting to move the team to Naperville uh, in the comments. So uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you, uh, is the, is the Nashville uh, rumor, is it a hundred percent a leverage play? I think so. I mean, it feels like every team is using uh, Nashville as a leverage play. Like I, we were joking about it on our podcast. I'm like, ten teams will be in Nashville in the next decade. Uh, that'll be, the whole the whole division will be down in Nashville because everyone's claiming they're going to move there. Like, I assume so. Like, I, I don't, I don't think we were looking at market sizes and like Nashville's in the mid twenties. Uh, Chicago is a top three market as far as population goes. Like, you look at census data or whatever. It's like if they're moving the White Sox to uh, California or to New York, New Jersey area. Yeah, I could see it because they got a lot of population there. You might absorb the team here when you got 10 million ish people in the metro area. Like, I, I don't think so. I don't think they're letting them move. Uh, I, I would, I would assume MLB would put the kibosh to that. Hey, John Rudels, how you doing, buddy? Um, um yeah, I'm kind of uh, in the in the same thinking there. Uh, so, if they were to move. Do you think that they're staying put uh, in that in that uh, you know pretty small like uh, I don't know ten fifteen block radius whatever? Uh, do you think that they would move to the west side over near the Bulls uh, over near the United Center? Do you think that they would go to the Loop, or do you think that they would? <laughs> Why anybody would think that this is a good idea? Put them in Soldier Field. <laughs> What's funny is the Soldier Field idea. Could be a good idea, but it takes so much work to fix everything to get people in and out of there. Like yeah, the area, the space, and everything. Awful. You're right by the lake. You know, you could really set up a whole like baseball village over there, and it would be scenic and nice. But it's impossible to get in and out. Like that. Like it's a great idea conceptually, but it'll never happen. Right. Like my my thought is they probably end up kind of right over here or near over here, and I think a lot of this might just be a leverage play. I think the ballpark seems like it's still in pretty good shape. Um, maybe they would need a cookie like, okay, they're allowed to develop maybe uh, north of the park or something in, in some of the lots back there that they don't use, maybe closer to 39th Street or whatever, that, or the lots that they don't use as much of. Um, the uh, the West Loop uh, is easier to get to than Soldier Field, but it's still not the best. I don't I don't love, like, I'll go to Bulls games or, or Blackhawks games if I have tickets, but it's I don't love trying to get in and out of there. I just feel like the... Uh, that that's also a, a a tough one for me, but um, yeah, I mean, my my guess is they stay here, and that's what I'm hoping for because obviously I have full seasons and I want to continue to go to a lot of games. But I'm I'm shocked that there's not a uh, a legit idea for going to the South Burbs. Like that would make some sense to me, right? You know, that's, that's where a lot of Sox fans are concentrated. So it's kind of interesting that that rumor hasn't popped up yet. Yeah, Danny. Uh... He volunteered his backyard, but uh, I haven't heard anything back about that yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there's also the Arlington Heights thing, you know. I mean, it's a, off of a couple of highways and whatever. You know, personally, I would have lo- like, if they had moved to Addison way back when, I would have been absolutely thrilled, and I think that it would have helped at least the fan base out this way, but it would have alienated the, you know, in-city folks such as yourself. And, like, I, you know, I get it. I mean, I, no matter what they do, um, it's just going to be uh, somebody's not going to be happy about you know where the where the location is. I mean, all all I know is that everybody is requesting that there's a retractable bulletproof uh, roof. That's that's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I have one question on this on this subject, and one and only one is uh, 
you know, I saw somebody with the some kind of artist rendering of a stadium back across the street. And do oh, you guys think one? it? Yeah, well, I saw one basic, basically back on the old where the old stadium was. And yeah. uh, I so just like Lot B area right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you know, right across the street from, you know, gate five entrance area over there. Uh, do you guys think it would be blasphemous? to build another park on the site of the original Comiskey Park? That's a great question, Danny. Uh, you know what? I, I, <laughs> Sox fans are sentimental about that park, too. I, I don't know. That's I, I haven't thought about that, but that's a really good question. Probably. There'd probably be a group of fans that would be like, you know, fuck this. Or the other fans might be like, okay, fine. Build a replica of that park. Build that park again. Yeah. Instead of what we have across the street, and maybe they'd be thrilled with it. You know, they, I, I think it could kind of go uh, one of two ways. If you tried to build some modern new thing there, people probably hate it. But if they, if they, if there was a nod to it and they had the roof, you could have the roof shots again and everything. Maybe people would love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I and like the the ability to be right on top of the game, like you used to be able to at the old park. That you just, I mean, yeah. you you physically cannot do that. Even if you're in the front row now, you're still not anywhere as close to the field as if you would have been in like row 15 or whatever, you know, at the, at the old stadium. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, there's that. Um, but yeah, there is the thing, you know, do you want to build on that, uh, you know, on that same spot and, you know, because of those railroad tracks, they're kind of, you know, pinned up against it. So I've, I've asked this question to a few people and uh, you know what beef has actually come up with the best answer I've heard. Nobody has suggested building a replica of the original Comiskey park. And I, you know what? I think I, I could get on board with that. Uh, you know, I don't know how long you have, or, if, you know, if you follow us often, uh, Mr. Delicious, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we originally started doing this thing, Ian and I, uh, we had, instead of this beautiful animated pinwheel background that you see in front of you now, uh, we had a photo of, what looked like, well, it actually was the golden box seats oh, with nice. the field in the background. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I could get behind a, a replica as long as you don't get that obstructed view that, you know, was the uh, with the big knock on that ballpark yeah. back in the yeah. day. So fix that part, but kind of leave all the other uh, creature comforts. It was a, absolutely, Ian brings up a great point. It was vantage points were good everywhere. You felt like you were really close to the uh, to the action. Hey, there it is. Yeah, there's the uh you can see it. Nobody else can. Oh, here, I'll do that. No. So you're missing beef loaf, but uh that's the that's the old uh that's the old backer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so um so let's awesome. go ahead and you know, I don't want to keep you too long cuz uh you know, it's a it's a school night and whatever. Um but I do want to uh go ahead and bring this thing up. Let's hope that this works. No, that's the. Is that the two person? That's the two person. Where is it? There it is. Yeah, and it worked. Oh, that's Ooh, amazing. Look at that. Oh man, I can't believe it actually worked first try. That is amazing. Um, so, uh, I've got four guys here, and I want you to tell me about their their flourishment and how how uh, excited you are. Uh, on you know to to give these guys a chance to bring them up. Uh, obviously, one of them is going to be you know he's a little bit farther away, but I, I just want to go ahead and uh, 
bring this up and you tell me uh, what you're thinking here. Come on. There we go. All right. So there's uh, that's Homer the Dragon, his uh, his bobblehead. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and uh, play this here. I think. There we go. Entered play today batting 409 with the Knights. Has played in every game here in the series. Here he sends one down the right field line, and that is going to be a home run for Xavier Fernandez. Goes opposite field. Thought it was just going to tuck inside, maybe land inside the foul line, but it just hits the corner of the foul hmm. pole and the yellow line. So Xavier Fernandez right now, is hitting something like 411 with like an 1100 OPS in Charlotte. And he's been going berserk uh, in July in Birmingham uh, for the month of July. I think he hit 407 um, after uh, like dealing with some like little injuries and whatever, but uh, he just went crazy. Um, so what you're looking at here with him. Um, is essentially a mentally stable, uh, slightly better defensive Yermin Mercedes. What would you think about bringing him to the south side? Oh, no. Hold on one second. Hold on. I'm having an issue here. I'm having an issue because I am a knucklehead. Give me one second. Hold these. Yeah, because I forgot to put the uh, <laughs> I forgot to put the Discord audio uh, the new way I have it done in here. So, um, but uh, go ahead and uh, if you would, uh, how do you feel about Xavier Fernandez now that I have uh, enabled your audio? People can actually hear what you're saying. Great. <laughs> I, f I feel like he's uh, he's. F it says he's 5'8", 245 pounds, so he's a thick guy in the middle like I am, and I would love the cheap power in 2024, Ian. I'm, 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 f I'm for taking a look at something like this, especially, uh, you mentioned his numbers, goodness gracious, is he, is he blasting the ball uh, in AAA? And it looks like he was good in AA as well, uh, hitting for a ton of power, controls the strike zone, walks a bunch. Yeah, let's take a look. I'd love to take a look. Why not, right? That's Let me answer this, Ian, real said. quick. Yeah. I think he, I, I mean, I, we all know he's a catcher. Do you think he can? You think old Ron Washington can teach him how to play first base? It's real hard. It's, it's, um, it's not that hard. Tell him, Wash. <laughs> it's, it's real hard. Um, yeah, I. You know, he is playing first base, and um, he has been. You know, but here we we run into the uh, the the beef loaf issue um, that he has with uh, he Andrew five Vaughn, eight. where he's five eight, <laughs> and uh, you know, a five eight first baseman, even though I have seen him make some, uh, some pretty nice leaping grabs over there. Um, he's still, you know, he's still a shorter guy, you know, but, uh, but he does have a slightly better glove than your mean Mercedes and is a, is a better catcher as well. Um, okay. So moving along to the, the next guy two out here's Rodriguez. And he drills one deep left. Knowles going back at the wall. He climbs it. He runs out of room, and it's five to one. 
Gonzalo I recognize that guy. He, he was in Chicago for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for like a like the shortest the sh- the shortest of times possible, and he he did get to pinch run, and he did play at second base for an inning. So that was awesome. He did. Um, so uh, Jose Rodriguez. Yeah, what are you thinking? You think uh, this year? You think next year? Uh, never. What do you think? You know, that's where the tug of war comes into place, Ian, because you have Lenin Sosa and you have Popeye. And like, who do you want to give uh, time to there? What surprised me with Popeye, and I don't want, don't mean to be heightest or sizest, but when he came into the game to pinch run, he only came up to like Daryl Boston's uh, belt buckle. And I was like, man, this guy's really small. I didn't, really, I didn't think he was that small. Like, I've seen him videos of him bashing home runs in the minors. So I'm like, I know he's got pop. And I'm like, he's a, he's a very uh, uh, small guy. But he, you know, different than Vaughn, he has the quick twitch. The guys that run and got the quick twitch, they can get to the power. You know, sometimes it's the, it's the slower guys that are small. Uh, I, it's interesting. It depends on w- what your leash is with Sosa and how far behind some of the rest of the group is uh, as far as getting here. You know, I don't know where, where Brian Ramos ends up playing. Like, there's there's guys who are there who you're like, their bats look like they play, and, and they may sl- slide in there. So he may end up getting squeezed out by just virtue of, of time. Uh, but I wouldn't mind getting a look of, of Popeye. I know a lot of people that I like and respect really like him, so I wouldn't mind getting a look. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, he has uh, really good bat-to-ball skills, um, like just on terrible pitches. You know, he's still got great bat-to-ball skills, and, um, you know, his you know he's not as short as Jose Altuve, but the quick twitch uh, power it, it reminds me a lot of, of his, even though he is, I believe he's like two inches taller, but... Um, regardless, yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of the same thing. All right, so this one, uh, everybody knows this guy, Gomez Dashwood. By the way, we are not uh, advocating for uh, deep guys who uh, swing at balls out of the zone. At the wall, she's out of here. Necessarily. This guy's a blue chip prospect here. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> for those of you not watching the. Uh, not watching the stream, listening in podcast form. That's uh, Colson Montgomery just went 410 at 100 miles an hour uh, to right center field. Um, number one prospect for the White Sox. And uh, obviously, you know, you're hoping that you get to see him in the near future. At least he gives enough of a, a reason to push uh, the White Sox to, to make that call. Yeah, this is the kind of prospect I love, Ian, because uh, it doesn't matter what position he ends up at. The bat is good, and it's going to be good at whatever position he ends up having to play. So there's not the pressure of, well, if he has to move to this spot, then it really devalues him. This is a guy who has plate control. He walks. He's got power. He can hit for average. He kind of can do everything. And he might still be a shortstop also. Like, this is, uh, yeah, this is your, your, your rare blue blood that's coming out. It reminds me, it's kind of funny. Him coming up, even though he's a better prospect than this guy, reminds me of when Tim Anderson was coming up because Tim Anderson was on fire in the minors. It's like you're bringing this guy up, and you're bringing him up into almost nothing around him. In fact, the 16 team was better than what uh, Colson's going to come up into. It's kind of interesting how barren it is uh, for this guy coming up. It makes you wish they had just done a little better along the way because he could have been a real nice finishing piece for like the second half of the of the contention window. Continual pipeline of talent. 
That's, that's um, right. I also oh. noticed I I did not uh, include uh, your number ten. What's that? <laughs> you, you well, you just said continual pipeline of talent. Ah, uh, yes, well, yes. Heater number ten on the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Danny. <laughs> uh, I did not uh, include a home run by your uh, your uh, second cousin, uh, Brian Ramos. Um, it's okay, but uh, you know, I, I think that if he hadn't started so late this year. Uh, that you, it's entirely possible that you would have seen him this year, and it's still, it's still a a, a minute possibility, but I kind of doubt it because, um, you know, like the last week and a half or so, he's had he hasn't exactly crushed the ball the last week and a half. And granted, you know, he had a bad, you know, like a not great series this this series, but uh, overall, you know, he still does look really good. Now I'm going to move along here to uh beef loaf's guy and uh for those of you guys that don't know uh beef loaf is a uh a tim elko supporter and uh i'm gonna go ahead and bring up this uh tim elko uh hit right here two two now one drilled center back to Adosio track wall that's gone <laughs> Tim Elko. Easy to power. Yeah. Right Easy apple field. power. Yeah. <laughs> right center. This easily gone. Yep. But yeah, no big deal, you know? No, that's right. There goes the lead. There you go. And he's also not 5'8". Yeah, he's exactly. Not, he is not. He, is he a looks like a man. ball player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 413 feet, 105 miles an hour, oppo. <laughs> Which, I mean, baby. like... That's... That's that's no joke right there. I mean, that's fantastic. Oh, there goes the stinger. All right, we're going to wait, wait a second here for this to clear. Oh, and there we have it. All right. Hey-o. So, uh, Beeflow, thank you so much for having, uh, you know, giving us your time tonight and uh, being willing to come on tonight. Uh, I had a great time. Danny? Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, it has been uh, a pleasure, sir. Yeah, uh, guys, I had an awesome time. Thanks so much for inviting me. And, I, and Ian, I know we've been wanting to get together and discuss stuff. And I, I appreciate you uh, letting me talk about how much I don't care for Andrew Vaughn. And uh, I like really enjoyed the discussion <laughs> about leaning Sosa because I think it's a discussion that needs to be had because you get a lot of like uh, short stuff on Twitter. But I think the, the you know, we dug in there. Nice. And so you, you have me feeling a little more confident about you know, given Sosa the next 150, 200 plate appearances just to see what's going to happen there. So, boys, I uh, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Grimtall says it'll be nice in two or three years to read about other fan bases complain their GMs passed on Colson for 21 rounds. Yeah. Or 21 picks. 21, <laughs> 21 picks. picks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to – hopefully we'll have that uh, that Mike Trout conversation. Um, so, uh, Beef, where can people find you? They can find me and kind of everything that me and the 108 boys do at fromthe108.com. You can find us at, at fromthe108 on Twitter. You can find me specifically at Mr. Delicious13 on Twitter. 
Um, most of our products, we have uh, the One Away Podcast is Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time on YouTube. We do a live stream, so uh, please jump in the comments there. Uh, I do a side podcast. It's called The Aju, uh, and you've been on there. So, some of it's interviews. Some of it is uh, White Sox stuff. That's 6 p.m. Central Time on Monday nights. And then home weekends on Sundays, 11.30 a.m., we do something called The Sunday Soak where we get in my hot tub and we answer questions from people. Uh, it's the thing we've been doing the longest content-wise. We did it before we had a podcast, and we absolutely love it. Yeah, if you guys want, uh, if you guys want like a... Uh a proper uh, rim f- to make that uh, hot tub a uh, a big beer glass. Just let me know, uh, <laughs> and I'll figure I'll figure something out and make a mask for you so it'll fit right over the top of that thing. Um, so um, yeah, so thanks so much for coming on. Uh, my name's Ian Eskridge uh, at i Eskridge on Twitter. Uh, my co-host, the Danny Miller, Danny Miller WSD over on the end over there. Uh, WhiteSoxDaily.substack.com. You can find us on yeah, Facebook. Yes, the eye candy. Um, sorry, uh, no. This, yeah, this way. Um, uh, you can find us on YouTube and Facebook. Just go ahead and search White Sox Daily uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter. Um, thanks for coming into the uh, comments, and uh, thanks for watching. And uh, if you're listening on, this, on the podcast, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a great night, and we will see you guys next week. Maybe, actually, it's possible. Maybe even not, because. Labor Day. I don't know. We'll talk about it and we'll figure it out. You guys have a great night and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye.